Thank you, Larry. I'd like to study with you this morning from um, a statement made by Jesus in Matthew chapter 21. If you take your Bible this morning, we'll look at this passage and some of the things that we can learn about the authority of Jesus. Charlotte and I are so glad to be with you. Uh, we have friends with us that have been staying with us the last couple of days, Gary and Barb Faust. Uh, Gary and Barb were a part of the congregation where I was uh, a few years ago preaching at Brown Street in Akron, Ohio. And so it's nice to have uh, friends with us. I, I look out and see my brother and sister-in-law this morning. It's good to see them. Uh, Tim lives uh, not too far out in the country. Uh, what's the name of it, Tim? Mayaka City. City. And Charlotte and I have never been there, but we hope we get to see it maybe this time while we're here. And of course, uh, Larry and I kind of grew up together. <clears throat> uh, we're cousins, went to the same congregation. Our, our mothers were related. <clears throat> and so we even went to school together, Charlotte and, and Larry and myself. So it's really nice to see people that you know and so nice to get to be with people that we've met before. Uh, Charlotte and I have been here and visited a couple of times and we'll have trouble remembering your name, so we hope that you'll help us with that. Uh, let me get a drink of water to start here. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing? Good. Good to see you. It's funny how you, you remember a Bible passage because of something that happens. Maybe it's something that, that someone has said, and, and so you always think of that whenever you think of this passage. In Matthew chapter 21, uh, Jesus is asked, By what authority doest thou these things, and who gave thee this authority? Uh, I remember this passage because of something that happened to me. I was returning from a meeting out west, and I had the radio on. Charlotte was not able to go with me to that meeting. But I was listening to a radio station. If Charlotte had been with me, she would have tuned it in to some soothing music because she knows if I listen to a religious broadcast, I might start preaching. And uh, this, this fellow chose a statement from the Bible that I thought would be non-controversial, even coming from a preacher that might not believe all the truth of God's Word. But he referred to Peter's statement about how we need to be ready to give an answer. We need to be prepared and ready to give an answer to every man that asks us a reason for the hope that is in us. And I thought, well, I can probably agree with him about everything that he says. So he introduced that and said some very good things. But he said, we always should give an answer to anyone who questions us unless someone says to us, by what authority are you doing the things you're doing? And he says, anytime anyone ask you or makes a demand about that, you can say what Jesus said. I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things. And that, of course, got me um, riled up immediately because, you know, I thought he, he's misinterpreting and misapplying what happened here. Uh, but let's look at the text and, and you be the judge about why Jesus said what he did. This is the last week of the life of Jesus. 
He's entered into the city of Jerusalem and he's gone into the temple area. And whenever we look at the context of Matthew 21, we'll notice several things. But let, let's begin with the uh, confrontation. The enemies of Jesus were always confronting him, especially the scribes and Pharisees, the chief priests and elders of the people. And so they came to him, notice verse 23 of Matthew 21. Now when he came into the temple, that's Jesus coming in, the chief priests and elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now when you read that, you recognize that Jesus is not trying to be evasive. He's not trying to say authority is not an important question. He's not saying I don't need authority for what I do. He's simply saying if you're not honest enough to tell me what you're up to and what is happening, then why should I answer your question if you won't answer mine? So that fellow was abusing uh, the scripture whenever he indicated that we don't have to tell people by what authority we do the things we do. As God's people, we should be ready to give an answer. Even if somebody says, what right do you have to believe what you believe? Or why do you believe what you believe? Or where's your authority for this practice or for that practice? We believe that we have to have Bible authority for everything that we do, everything that we teach. And Jesus, of course, is the standard of that authority. He is the one that has all authority, both in heaven and on earth. So he gives us the authority and he tells us what we should do. Let's look at everything that led up to this confrontation. Notice that they come to Jesus, again, verse 23, and they ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? And so it's important right away in understanding this confrontation to know what Jesus had been doing. What had he done that caused these men to be upset and come in to him and say, what are you doing here? And who gave you the authority to do what you've been doing? So let's look at the context here in, in Matthew chapter 21. As I said, Jesus has entered into the city of Jerusalem. Remember how he was received? Uh, maybe on other occasions when he had come to one of the feasts or returned to Jerusalem, he was not received always very well. But this time, the multitudes of the people embraced him. They were singing Hosanna to God in the highest. They received him as the one that they believed had come to establish his kingdom. And so they gave him a royal welcome. You remember they, they laid down the palm fronds, they prepared a, a path for him like a, a, a well-known person, a celebrity would come into a place and, and people would acknowledge him as he came. And of course they worshiped Jesus by what they said. 
But whenever he came into the city of Jerusalem, he did several things, uh, three things in particular that we want to see. If you notice in your Bible, he came right into the temple. This is, this is the main place where Jesus would go because this is the place where the Jews of Jesus' day worshiped God. And this was going to be a holy feast, a week of feasting. And so Jesus went right into the temple, verse 12, and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. You know, this is the second time that Jesus cleansed the temple. The very first time is recorded by John in his gospel. I believe it's in chapter 2 after Jesus had turned the water to wine in the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee. Remember how his mother came and encouraged him, the wine has failed, and, and, and then Jesus is kind of upset that his mother's trying to tell him what to do. He said, woman, my hour has not yet come. And then she turns and says to the servant standing nearby, whatever he says to you, do it. And that kind of encouraged Jesus, you know, to do something. And so he told those servants, go and fill your water pots and bring them. And when they did, uh, it was filled with wine, wine that was so much better than what had been set uh, before the people. And so right after that, Jesus goes to Jerusalem, and you have the very same situation where these people are buying and selling, changing money. You know, when you came from other lands, as the Jews did, sometimes at these wedding um, feasts they would have a lot of people, but not nearly as much as whenever they had the feast days. And there might be, they, they tell us, there might have been two million people in Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover and for the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, the Feast of Ingathering, the three most popular feasts. So many Jews would come from uh, far and near. And so you can imagine um, Jesus going in to a place where they had to exchange their money. The problem was that the people that were doing the exchanging were making a profit off of the people, sometimes an exorbitant amount. They would charge them just to change their money into uh, the money they needed to spend in Jerusalem. Many of them would come without sacrifices, and so they would have to buy their sacrifices there at the temple. And so they bought and sold. They brought these lambs and uh, all the animals right into the temple area. This is a holy place, you know. But it, they made it, as Jesus said, a place of merchandise. And so he's upset, and he overturns their tables and drives them out. This is the same kind of thing, but it's the last week of Jesus' life. And in John chapter 2, when we read of it, that's the beginning of his earthly ministry. So two times that he cleansed the temple. Imagine these chief priests and elders of the people, the Jews that were uh, leading the people, the Pharisees and scribes particularly, the elders of the Jews, how incensed they would have been. You're coming into this place and you're, you're changing everything. This is our custom. This is our tradition. This is how we handle this. And you've come in here and, and driven these people out and, and just caused a scene. And so that's one of the things that they are demanding to know. Who gave you the right, the authority to do this? But look further and notice after he cleansed the temple, what do we see in uh, verse 14 of Matthew 21? 
right after he had cleansed the temple, he did something else in uh, the temple. Verse 14 says, Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. So this is, once again, something that would have upset these people um, because it demonstrated that Jesus was the Son of God, uh, that he had the power on earth to heal people, and he had the power on earth uh, to forgive sins. So the fact that he's there in the temple and healing people caused a scene. Uh, Jesus is establishing his authority and laying the groundwork for many of these people to believe in him during this time. And then a third thing in verse 23. Again, he's in the temple and what's he doing in verse 23? Matthew 21, verse 23. He's teaching in the temple. And so these are the three things, I believe, when they said, by, by what authority doest thou these things? They're particularly talking about the fact that you came in here and disrupted everything and cleansed the temple. You've been healing all these people and you've been teaching in the temple. In other words, they were saying, you know, we really don't like you. We really don't accept you as the Messiah. We really don't want you here, but you're just kind of taking over. And so they demand to know his authority. Well, whenever, whenever Jesus is asked this, demanding to know his authority, he says, I will tell you, but, but let me ask you a question and ask you the authority by which you're going by. And so when they say, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus said, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. You tell me how, how you do what you do, by what authority, and I'll tell you by what authority I am acting. You know, he wasn't trying to get cute. He wasn't trying to get smart. Uh, he wasn't trying to be ugly or mean. He was just saying, you know, you don't seem to appreciate the authority that I have, so let me turn this question around and ask, by what authority are you doing what you are doing? And so he asked them a, a specific question. Look at verse 25. The baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? Now this caused a real dilemma for these Jewish leaders because they had not accepted John, John's baptism like most of the other people of that time had. And so it's a very difficult for, thing for them to acknowledge John. Where did he get his authority? Why was he out baptizing? Why was he teaching people they needed to be baptized? So, the baptism of John, where was it from? From heaven or from men? Look at how now they're stuck. And they reason among themselves, saying, If we say, from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But we can't say that because uh, we'd be in trouble. And so, but if we say from men, we all fear the multitude because all these people in Jerusalem held John as a prophet. So many of them had been baptized. And so we're out with the people if we say the one thing, but we're, we're out with God if we recognize that we haven't accepted the one that God had sent. John came baptizing by the will of God. And so they just, at the height of dishonesty, they said, we do not know, verse 27. So we don't know. <laughs> we don't know where John uh, got his authority to baptize. And so Jesus said, 
and I think he had every right to do so, then neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But the answer to your question is the answer to mine. My authority comes from God, and that's where John came from God, and his baptism was of God. And so Jesus certainly here is confronting them and convicting them uh, smarter than these people who were trying to trap him. Uh, think for a minute about the authority of Jesus. Let's think about a few passages and notice what they say that demonstrate the authority that Jesus had. Uh, the first one I think of is in Matthew chapter 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And whenever it says that Jesus ended his sermon, Matthew 7, I think it's like 20, verse 28 and 29, it says that when he had finished his teaching, the multitudes were astonished at his teaching. When I finish teaching, people are exhausted. But whenever Jesus finished teaching, they were astonished. They just had never heard anyone teach like this. He taught as one having authority and not as their scribes. Why was he so different? Why was he so remarkable? Why did his teaching cause these people to say, we've never heard anything like this? It was because of the authority that he had. He knew where he came from. He knew why he was sent. He knew what God's will was. He had just explained to them so much in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard that it hath been said by them of old times, but I say unto you. And so he rightly divided God's will concerning the Old Testament teaching. These Jews had turned those things around. They had established their own traditions and their own authority, and they had rejected the authority and teaching of God. And so uh, to see the difference between the way Jesus taught and the authority that he had was remarkable. Think, think of a, an illustration in, in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 2, and if you'd like to turn and, and familiarize yourself with this story, it's in verses 1 through 12. But I, I'm not going to read it, I'm just going to tell it to you. Jesus was teaching in a certain place, if I remember right, it's Capernaum. He was in a certain house in that area, and his teaching there and the miracles that he performed had brought so many people into that house where he was staying that when these four men came carrying a sick boy to Jesus to be healed, they could not get into the house where Jesus was. They'd gone to all this trouble to help this young man who was sick of the palsy, and he evidently couldn't walk. And so they were carrying him, no doubt, on a cot of some kind, carrying him, but they get to the house where Jesus is and they can't get in for the crowd. But these men were determined, and so they went up somehow, they got up on the rooftop, and they tore apart the roof of that house, and they lowered that sick boy down into the presence of Jesus. I say a boy, uh, probably a young man, because Jesus called him son. Um, he said, son, thy sins are forgiven thee. A remarkable thing to say whenever a sick boy is lowered down into the very room where you are. But it says, Jesus seeing their faith, not just the faith of the sick boy to want to come to Jesus, but the four men who brought him there. They had such faith that they knew if they could get him to Jesus, even if they had to do something remarkable like tearing apart the ceiling so they could lure him down because of the crowd. And so Jesus said, seeing their faith, uh, he said to the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiving, forgiven thee. 
But there were certain scribes sitting there, and they were thinking, reasoning in their hearts, why does this man thus speak? He blasphemes. Who can forgive sins but one, even God? Only God can say this kind of thing. And so this, this Jesus is a blasphemer. But, you know, Jesus read their minds. As he so often did, he knew what people thought, and he would, he would ask them, well, why are you thinking like this? And so he turned to these people and he said, why do you reason this way in your heart? Which is easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven, or take up thy bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man hath authority on earth to forgive sins, he turns to the young man and he says, I say to thee, get up from thy bed, or get up and take thy bed and go to thy house. And immediately he arose and took up his bed and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. Now, now, the passage I'm trying to get to is where Jesus says to these people that are questioning his right to say that, um, you know, they want to know really why he can say this. Does he have that kind of authority? He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man, Jesus was the Son of Man, the Son of God, but born of a woman, the Son of Man, so that you may know that the Son of Man hath authority on earth to forgive sins. That's when he turned to the young man and said, I'll show you that I do by having the power to heal him from his inability to walk. So there Jesus demonstrated the authority that had been given to him. He had power to heal, and he had that power to heal because he had the authority of God, the stamp of God's approval. Think about uh, another time in John chapter 2. We, we alluded to it a moment ago about in uh, Cana of Galilee where the wine failed at the wedding feast where Jesus and his mother and his disciples were attending. And uh, Mary said to these men, whatever he says to you, do it. Why? Why? Because she knows who he is. She knows that he was not born of man. She knows that he was born of the Holy Spirit, that God had spoken about her pregnancy, that she bore a son without the help of any man, that this son came from God, and she knew his power. It's funny when you think about it, that she'd probably never seen him perform a miracle. Now, some of the uh, uh, books that do, do not belong in our Bibles, uh, one of them in particular has a story about Jesus as a child making uh, pigeons out of clay, you know, kind of molding and throwing them up in the air and they fly off. Um, but there's no record, there's no indication anywhere in the Bible that Jesus performed any miracle until that first sign. In fact, that's what John says. This is the first sign that he did uh, in Cana of Galilee, turning the water to wine. But the words of Mary should echo in our hearts. Whatever he says to you, do it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we'd all live by that? Whatever Jesus says, do it. And that shows the kind of authority that he had. Matthew 28, verse 18, of course, is what we usually think of when someone asks us about the authority of Jesus. How much authority does Jesus have, according to that passage? All authority hath been given unto me, both in heaven and on earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, and so on. So Jesus claims all authority. He received that authority from God the Father. 
And so this establishes the kind of authority that he has. Colossians 3.17, Paul says, Whatever you do, do all in the name of the Lord. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. We sang that song, and so we ought to be familiar with the authority of Jesus. So they've demanded to know, by what authority do you do these things? Okay, I'll tell you, but first you answer my question, the baptism of John, whence was it from heaven or from men? We don't know. We're really afraid to answer because whatever we say, if we say he came from God, then you will say, well, why didn't you accept him? Why didn't you obey? Why didn't, why didn't you come to him to be baptized? But if we say from men, we're going to get into trouble with all the people because they hold John as a prophet. So, well, we just don't know. Well, then I'm not going to answer you. And, you know, that fella out there uh, in Texas that I was listening to on the radio probably thought, you know, that's the end of this story, but it's not. You know, sometimes we read and then we stop too, too soon. And whenever you look at the text here again, notice that Jesus didn't just say, I'm not going to answer you because you didn't answer me. But what he said was, but what do you think? What do you think? And then he posed a series of questions for them. Let's see if I can find it here. Verse 28, but what do you think? Now he gives them a story, a story that calls for an answer. A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second son, thinking, of course, the first son's not going to go. He comes to the second and said, likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said to him, the first. Jesus said, you're right. And assuredly, and then he makes application on the basis of the question he's asked them. And we'll see in just, just a moment uh, what that is. But do you get the idea? Jesus is saying this man has two sons and he wants one of them to go and work in the vineyard. So he goes to the first and he says, uh, I will not. But after a while he felt bad about it. He regretted it and he went. He goes to the second son thinking the first is not going to go. And he says, go and work today for me in the vineyard. And he said, I go, sir. I'll go right away. But he did not go. Now, which of the two did the will of the father? And they said, the first, and they were right. But look at what Jesus says to them. Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. In other words, there are people going into the kingdom, becoming citizens of the kingdom because of the preaching and teaching of John the baptizer. They are being baptized. You know, I, I believe that John's baptism put one into that relationship with God. Now, later on, if the baptism of John was taught after the day of Pentecost, people teaching the baptism of John like Apollos were wrong because you don't, be baptized because John t teaches it. You are baptized now because of the king teaching it, Jesus and his teaching. And that's why Paul had to rebaptize those people 
because they'd been taught only the baptism of John. They didn't understand baptism also gave one the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so they hadn't heard anything about the Holy Spirit. And so he taught them rightly and then baptized them. And, and Priscilla and Aquila had to take Apollos aside and, and teach him the word of God more perfectly because he didn't understand the baptism of John had ended and now it was the baptism of Christ. But this was for the remission of sins. You know, don't dismiss the importance of the baptism of John. People had their sins remitted. Now, of course, they didn't actually have the remission of their sins until what happened? What had to happen before any of us could have remission of sins? The blood of Jesus had to be shed. And so Jesus had to die on the cross. And, of course, His blood comes back to cover everybody who by faith has ever done the will of God. And then those of New Testament era who obey the gospel are cleansed immediately from their sins. So the blood of Jesus goes forward, continuing to be forward until the end, and it goes back to the beginning to everyone who lived by faith and covers. The, the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. It took the blood of a spotless lamb, Jesus Christ. But Jesus is saying to these people, people are being uh, taught right and they're being baptized and they're going into the kingdom and you're not even in it yet. You know, because what you have said is, you've said to God, God, I am your Jew and I will obey you and I'll always be a part of your kingdom. But you won't go and do what he asks you to do. Whereas these people have done that. And so he in, indicted them. You know, this is him convicting them. Because you didn't accept John's baptism, then you're not a part of this kingdom that is coming. The kingdom of God uh, before you. And then he, he teaches another parable. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, put a wine press in it and built a tower and he leased it to the vine dressers and then went into a far country. Now when the vintage time drew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers and that they might receive its fruit. And the vine dressers took his servants and beat one, killed one, and stoned another. Again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise. Then last of all, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Do you see what's happening here? Who are these servants that he sent so many times? These are his servants, the prophets, who had been bringing to the Jews the message of God the prophecies that were pointing to the Savior, the Son who would come. And then God finally sends the Son. But what are they going to do to the Son? This very week, at the end of this week, what are they going to do? They're going to crucify Him. And, and so they don't see where Jesus is getting with this. And, and so He asked them, uh, what will He do? When the owner of the vineyard comes, what will He do to these vine dressers? They said to Him, He will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease His vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to Him their fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was of the Lord, uh, Lord's doing, and is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits thereof. So Jesus is convicting them. And, you know, they got the point. 
Now look down at verse 45. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But look at how they reacted. They didn't believe, they didn't turn around and do right. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. We better not arrest him. We better not do it here because all these people believe Jesus is the Messiah. Have I gone over heaven? Oh, good. <laughs> Thanks. Um, let's think, um, you know, what we've seen Jesus teaching here calls us to understand about John's baptism. Uh, let's go to Mark's gospel. And uh, is it Mark or Luke? It's Luke, isn't it? Luke 7. I get Mark and Luke mixed up so many times, but I believe it's, it's Luke 7. <coughs> yes, in Luke chapter 7, uh, this is after, you know, John the baptizer was put into prison because of preaching the truth, and then eventually he was beheaded. But John in prison one begins to wonder, is Jesus really the, is he the one? I, I said he was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but where is he? And why am I in prison? And why, why didn't he do something to get me out? Maybe he's thinking that. So he sent uh, some of his followers uh, to Jesus and, and wanted to know, are you the one? Are you really the one? But, but they, uh, Jesus encourages them and shows them, yes, you go and tell John. Tell John the things that you've seen and heard and, and that the kingdom is being preached and that miracles are being done. And, and that he, he needs to have faith that what he's done is right and what I'm doing is right. But look at this, verse 24 of Luke 7. When the messengers of John had departed, he, Jesus, began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? You have to imagine how these people looked at John. <clears throat> have you ever seen any pictures of John? Well, of course... Nobody really knows what he looked like because nobody is alive today that can show us. But, you know, they paint these pictures because of the description given. You know, he, he's wearing uh, the, the skins of animals, you know, the hairy, a very hairy man uh, wearing these animal skins, eating locusts and wild honey. You know, he's a wild man. He lives out there in the desert. And then he'd come in and preach and people would say, wow, he's really a wild man. Um, what did you think you were going to see? What did you think he would be? Uh, a man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. We were, we were out on the island. Uh, uh, drove out on, uh, what's the big island out there? Longboat, Longboat Key and saw the fabulous houses and talked a lot about how rich these people are that have these beautiful homes out here and what did you think John was going to be whenever he came? Uh, but what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Jesus is saying, This man made the way for me to do my work. <clears throat> Verse 28, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. Um, I wish the translators had render it, rendered it without a big B, Baptist, because it gives people the idea this is where 
the church comes from that has this name. But, you know, John was a little bit Baptist. He was a baptizer, John the baptizer. He was never a member of the Baptist church. He didn't start the Baptist church. Uh, can't get off on that. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Look at this paradox here. I tell you of all men that have been born of women, there's none greater than John the baptizer. Think about that. Jesus said that. This is not some preacher trying to show how great John is. This is the Son of God saying there's never been a greater prophet that has ever come to this world than John the baptizer. That's how much he thought of him. This is the man who said, uh, whenever his disciples said, you know, Jesus and his disciples are baptizing more than what we are, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples. But Jesus uh, points to John, and, and John now points to Jesus. Um, you know, I am just... Um, I'm just the one who stands by the bridegroom. He's the important one. John says, he must increase, but I must decrease. That's the kind of man John was. So no greater man born of woman than John, and yet the one who is the weakest child of God, the most unfortunate Christian, the weakest Christian, is greater than John. That's what Jesus is saying. Why? Because John could not see the kingdom, and we have come into it. We are privileged to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We have so much more than what John was able to receive. Think of his death. Think of where he is. And Jesus is saying, you really need to appreciate this man. Now look at the reaction um, after Jesus says this. Verse 29, and when all the people heard him, heard Jesus, even the tax collectors justified God, having been baptized with the baptism of John. People went out immediately and said, I want to be baptized with John's baptism. Of course, his disciples are out there baptizing, and so they're baptized with John's baptism. Um, and, and when the people heard him, even the tax collectors justified God. How do you justify God? by doing what God tells you to do, having been baptized with the baptism of John. Being baptized with the baptism of John justifies God. Now go back to our context that we started with about by what authority doest thou these things. Tell me about the baptism of John. Whence was it, from heaven or from men? If the people who accepted John's teaching and John's baptism justified God, what does that say about the baptism of John? Whence was it? From heaven or from man? It was from heaven. Now, verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the will of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. The people that were baptized by John's baptism justified God. The people that, that rejected John's baptism uh, caused the, uh, how does it, how is it worded? Rejected the will of God for themselves not having been baptized by him. So the baptism of John, we know the answer to the question, was it from heaven or was it from men? Right here, Jesus tells us that those that accepted it justified God. Those that rejected it rejected themselves. You know, when I was growing up, my sister Carol um, 
John and I, you know, uh, we were the three oldest. I was the oldest, and then Carol, and then John. But John and I would tease my sister. She, she just put up with everything. But we'd take her hand sometimes and slap her face with her own hand. And, and he, we'd say to her, why are you slapping yourself? <laughs> You're just hurting yourself. You know, these people that rejected the baptism of John were only hurting themselves. They were not just rejecting John. They were rejecting their only hope of salvation. John's baptism was from heaven. And that's the point Jesus is trying to say here. Now, John's baptism is no longer in effect today. So what about the baptism of Jesus Christ? If you accept the baptism of Christ and you're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, what is your relationship to God then? Using what Jesus says here, you justify God. You say to God, this is your will, and I'm going to do it. And so I've obeyed you because I believe in your will and your authority. But if you reject baptism, what are you doing? You're only hurting yourself. You're only slapping yourself in the face. You're hurting yourself because you're refusing the authority of heaven, the authority of Jesus Christ, and the authority of God. You know, Jesus had all authority, and I think it's a great lesson for us to realize that that authority today still guides our lives. We look to him, we look to his truth, we see what he wants us to do, and when we do it, it not only helps us, but it glorifies our Father, it justifies our Father, because his will has been given and obeyed.